0: The Old Testament reading for today is from the book of Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish. Away from the presence of the Lord. The word of the Lord. This is, um, some of you might know, this is the season in the church of Epiphany. And that might be familiar to some of you. It might be. sort of a strange word, but for centuries, the church following Advent and Christmas has celebrated this season that really acknowledges the fact that the light has come into the world, that we've longed for the light, that he has become incarnate, that he has come into the world. And so during the season of Epiphany, we think about the mission of God in the world. What did the light, why did the light come? What did the light come to do? And what does that have to do with us, the church? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at Um, This Old Testament prophet, Jonah, you may not have read Jonah in a long time, you may have thought um, Jonah is sort of just a little fairy tale for kids, but I think Jonah tells us a lot about the light coming into the world. It tells us about the heart of God. And so before we dig into that, let um, let me take a moment and ask that God help us. Father, we thank you again this morning for your word. We thank you that it shows us your heart. It shows us your nature and character. We thank you that the very word became flesh and came and dwelt among us, that the light has come and it has shone into the darkness. And Father, we thank you that for some reason you have decided to shine that light upon us. And Father, I pray that as we Think about this book over the next several weeks. We might ask that question, why did you do that? What does it mean for us to be the church in the world? What does it look like for us to follow Jesus as we go and love the world and love our neighbor? And Father, I pray that you would make this clear to us. I pray that you would convict us. I pray that you would point us to your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. From April 7th to... July 15th of 1994, that's just a little over three months, not a very long period of time, almost one million Rwandans were murdered, killed, um, were brutally raped and tortured and murdered. And this was not something that just happened all of a sudden. It was part of an ongoing civil war in Rwanda and that was really spurned on by the hatred between two groups of Rwandans, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And the Hutus had seen it really as their mission to wipe the Tutsis off the face of the earth, to completely obliterate them, to completely annihilate them. And in three short months, they came pretty close to doing that very thing. And that's... That's not news. It's over 20 years ago, and many of you have heard about that genocide in Rwanda. But one of the things that we don't necessarily hear about is what has happened after that. So about not quite 10 years later, in 2003, there were about 40,000 Hutus that were released from prison back into mainstream society in Rwanda. And so you think about the fact that these, after serving sort of a menial sentence for some pretty heinous crimes, were simply released back into society, and many of them moved into the neighborhoods, and even some of them moved next door to family members of people that they had murdered. And there was one man named Antoine who had survived this genocide, and he asked this question, what would you do, how would you feel if, if it were proclaimed that a murderer was being released into your neighborhood? And then he said, well, how would you feel if you were told 40,000 were being released into your neighborhood? And there's a, a book and a documentary that I highly recommend called As We Forgive, and what it accounts is basically how many of the Tutsis responded to that question. And many of them who even had neighbors who had assaulted and even killed part of their family, many of them chose to forgive. It's, an ast- it's one of the most astounding accounts of forgiveness that I can think of in our era. And we, you know, as Christians, forgiveness is a big deal, right? I mean, this morning even, we've talked about forgiveness. We talk about forgiveness all the time. We even go to the point to where we say, and we agree with the New Testament that says that we were once enemies of God. That's what the New Testament says about each and every one of us, that we were once enemies of God, and yet he has shown us forgiveness. But my question really, and I think the question that this book of Jonah is going to ask us over and over again is, do we really believe in forgiveness? Maybe a better way to put it, and I think this is the question that it continually asks is, are we as compassionate as the God that we claim to serve? Are we as compassionate as the God that we claim to serve? You see, Jonah is a story about God's compassion. It, it's a story that, that we desperately need to hear. Because I think a lot of times we might buy into the narrative that says, is God really that compassionate Or we might even buy into the narrative that says, you know, um, that puts God, like puts us in the seat of judgment and sort of judges God to say, I really think that in some ways I'm almost more compassionate than he is. And here's the thing, in the midst of our hectic, busy, anxious lives, we have neighbors and co-workers And friends and relatives and even enemies that are longing for compassion. They are crying out for compassion. They're crying out for grace. The world is crying out for the compassion of God. And here's the thing. God has called us as the church to represent him in the world. And Jonah, you know, many of the readers of Jonah would have read this many years after it actually happened. And Jonah actually served as a reminder to Israel of God's heart for the world, of God's compassion for the world. And I think it serves as a reminder to us, and it's going to continue to serve as a reminder to us that the light has actually come into the world. The true Jonah has come into the world, and he has shown his light upon us. And we, the church, are called to now go and and bear that light in the world, that we're called to love, that we're called to compassion, Uh, that we're called to pray, even as Jesus so outrageously and pointedly told us to pray, even for those who persecute us. So even for those who are enemies, because to be a Christian, to be a, to be a Christian is to be a disciple. To be a disciple is to be one who follows Jesus, and to follow Jesus means that we become missionaries, that his mission, that his heart, that his compassion now becomes ours, That it becomes our job. And so Jonah is not, it's not this cute little story about a naughty man who got swallowed by a fish. In fact, it's not, really, it's not really about Jonah at all. It's about the heart of God and how he deals with the people who are continually persistent not to know him, who continually want to turn away from him, and how he meets us over and over again in the midst of our rebellion. It's a, it's a reminder of the ways in which God has crossed over boundaries and borders that seem to us um, unfathomable and insurmountable, that he has crossed over boundaries and he has crossed over borders in order to come and to find us and to make us his own. And it's about how we now have that same mission, the mission to cross over. And so this morning, I want, to, I want to look at just two things from these, these three verses. I want to think about the call to cross over, and then I want to think about how difficult that call is, the difficulty of crossing over, the call to cross over and the difficulty to cross over. You know, the, the, the beginning of any book in the Bible that we begin to read, we tend to kind of zone out on, it just seems like an introduction. But the beginning of this begins with, "...the word of the Lord came to Jonah." Of Amittai. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. The very word of Lord in some of your Bibles is all caps because when that word was written, it was actually the, the name of God, which is just a form of the, the verb to be, Yahweh, which is Jehovah. The word of the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth came to Jonah. And what we find is that mission doesn't begin until God speaks, until he initiates, because nobody would have thought about this mission, right? Jonah would never have conceived of this mission. No one in Israel would have conceived of this mission. And so mission begins with God. And God, what he reveals is he has plans. He has plans for those people, That he not only has plans for Jonah, and he not only has plans for Israel, but he actually, wonder of wonders, that God actually loves Nineveh. That he actually has a heart that is moved with compassion for them. But before we think about that, we have to ask these basic questions. Who is Jonah and who is Nineveh? Because the story makes a lot more sense if you begin to think about who Jonah is, and then what, what Nineveh is. Where is Nineveh? What, it, what was it? What was it about? Why was it such an outrageous prospect that Jonah is sent to Nineveh? Well, we don't know a ton about Jonah from the book of Jonah. We're not told a lot of his history. We're told a lot of his present situation. But there's one other place in the Old Testament where Jonah is mentioned, and it's in 2 Kings 14. And we're not told a ton about him there, other than the fact that we realize that Jonah was already a prophet when he received this mission to go to Nineveh. And he was a prophet who prophesied during the time of Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II was not a, a nice guy. He wasn't a good king. And despite that fact, God had sent Jonah to them, and he had prophesied that the northern kingdom of Israel, that their borders would expand, that this was a time. Jonah was prophesying in Israel during a time of prosperity. And so if you're a prophet during the time of prosperity, how do you think that you're probably perceived by the people? You could talk if you want. Highly, Highly, thank you. Yeah, I mean, you're you're popular. I mean, you're a bit of a celebrity. Even despite the fact that the king is pretty miserable, Jonah's prophesying good things and they continue to prosper because of it. And so he's a bit of a, a local hometown hero. And so you have to understand when the word of the Lord comes to Jonah, it comes as a complete shock to Jonah because God suddenly is calling Jonah to cross over. He's calling him to to leave the comfort of this prosperous kingdom where he had experienced peace and security and even maybe a little celebrity and to go to Nineveh, the capital of Syria. Now, what is Nineveh? Nineveh, the prophet Nahum, he called it the city of blood. Uh, Nineveh was an enemy. Nineveh was infamous in their own day for the evils and the violence that they committed, even more so than Sodom and Gomorrah was in their day. That these were you know, the, the, the savagery and the brutality of things that happened in Nineveh I cannot name in this place. They were what we would think of as modern day. They were terrorists. I read one commentator that said sending an Israelite to Nineveh in the 8th century B.C. would be like sending a Jew to Berlin in the 1930s. I think on the eve of Martin Luther King Day, we could say that it would be like sending a black man to preach in Memphis, my hometown, in the 1960s. There's a chance that things are going to go pretty bad, right? There's a chance that he's not going to be maybe well-received. And you add to the fact that prophets were normally not sent outside of the boundaries of Israel, that they were usually sent just to Israel itself. And what you begin to find is that God often wants something different than what we want. And so he, sends, he says, the word of the Lord came to, came to Jonah, and he says, go out and cry against them because their evil has come up against me. Well, what does that mean? It sounds bad at first, but it's actually a very good thing because if God cared nothing for Nineveh, he wouldn't send a prophet to call them to repentance. And Jonah knows exactly what this means. You are sending me outside of the borders of Israel, and you are sending me to this despicable place. To cry out against their evil so that they'll return and they'll repent and you can show mercy on them. It's evident to Jonah that maybe God cares about Jonah's enemies maybe as much as he cares about Jonah himself. And as you go through this account, I mean over the next several weeks, as you, if you haven't read Jonah in a while, if you've never read it, I mean what's going to happen and what kind of sneaks into our heart as we start to see this account of Jonah unfold is that we can can easily begin to sneer at Jonah. I mean, it's almost like reading the Gospels and looking at the disciples and we sort of giggle at times because we look at Jonah and we think, what a weak, frail, fearful failure of a prophet. He's an utter coward. And the truth is, that's right. He is. But the point of Jonah, and if our hearts Move in that direction and they never turn back to see the ways in which we're just like him. And the ways in which when God's compassion and his mercy and his grace is directed towards people who we think don't deserve it, how do we react? You see, Israel was, they were fine the way they were, or so they thought. They were fine, um, if you want to hear about our God, if you want to hear about Um, the true God, Yahweh, then you come into our confines and you see what we're about. You come to our temple, you can see him, and God says, the days of that are over. I'm sending you out to show them. They're not as crazy about that notion. And to say that we live right now in times that are kind of polarizing, I think it's fair to say, I mean, every period since the fall of man has been polarizing, but there are certain times in which you can kind of tangibly feel it, and right now we can feel it. And the question that I think Jonah is going to bring up to us over and over again, the one that I want you to start to ponder, is what is the role of the church in such times? What is your role? As you maybe look out in the world, as you look out in our country, as you, as you grapple with all the different questions that arise What is the role of the church? What is your role as somebody who belongs to Jesus? And sadly, I think that what we see in our culture, what we see in our society often is that those who call themselves Christians, who claim the name of of the Messiah, of Jesus himself, can often be the most spiteful, the most racist, the most fearful, the most critical, the most xenophobic people in our culture. And that was true of Israel at the time, and I think that this is what God is doing in this this story, and this is what he's doing with Jonah, that they had been lavished with God's grace, they had been lavished with his mercy, they had been lavished with his forgiveness, and they had become so comfortable with it that they began to think that they actually deserved it. So when God says, go tell it to your neighbors, they were like, what? Jonah asks us this question, is that true of us? Is that true of us? Because this call to cross over, it's a call that's really difficult. And it's a call that makes us think hard about our own hearts. It's a call that makes us think hard about the gospel. It's extremely difficult. Think about what this would have meant for Jonah when he receives this word of the Lord. It would have meant Jonah needed to lay aside everything that he held dear. Israel despised Nineveh. No one would have respected the fact that this prophet is now going to Nineveh, that his reputation would most likely be ruined. There's a very real prospect that going to Nineveh would cost him his life. He's like, the word of the Lord coming to me right now sounds like a suicide mission, and who is it a suicide mission for? It's for those worthless people in that blank hole country over there. No thanks. And so Jonah runs. He runs quite literally and geographically in the opposite direction. He runs to Tarshish. Tarshish was a city that was known for its wealth. It was a city that mainly what we know about now is that it built some of the uh, most beautiful ships that the world had seen at that time. And so he decides to go there. But more importantly, Jonah we're told, runs from the presence of the Lord. and in, in the Hebrew, literally, he runs from the face of Yahweh. Now, Jonah knows he can't actually run away from God's presence. but what is So what does that mean? We, I, I don't, we don't know exactly what Jonah's thinking at this point. We get a little bit more revelation towards the end of this book about what Jonah was thinking. But at this point, what it seems is that Jonah is thinking, if this is what God is about, I don't want to be about God. <laughs> if this is what God is about, then I want, to, I want to run away from his face. I want to flee his face. Maybe if I move outside of the borders of Israel, maybe his voice won't talk to me any longer. Maybe somebody else can pick up with this mission because I don't really want anything else to do with this mission. You see, Jonah is fine with people who are like him. He's he's great with people who share his culture and share his language and share his heritage and share his taste and share his traditions. But when God sends him to cross over, he doesn't want anything to do with it. Why would God send me to those people? And, of course, or we should at least... I know that I do as I've thought about these I've thought about this book over the last few weeks is that we can relate to Jonah that we all have this category in our minds of, of who those people are and we all have a narrative in our minds of what they're like and why they're the way that they are and it's easy for us to sit back and sort of judge those people whoever they might be those people Got themselves into the situation that they're in because those people made bad decisions. Those people are addicts. Those people are lazy and they need to get what they deserve. Those people have strange political and I think aberrant political views. Those people are violent. Those people worship money. And all they care about is career. Those people, those people, those people. And we could go on and on and on and we think about that narrative that runs through your own mind and what we have to see that what, what it means to follow Jesus is actually to become his disciples that we have to begin to destroy some of those narratives in our mind. And what we have to see is that every individual that we encounter is made in the image of the living God. They are made in the lim- image of the living God and we have to do that work first and foremost in the midst of this room, in the midst of this congregation. Because one of the easiest things for us to do is to simply gravitate towards people who are just like us. And we gravitate towards people who understand my good taste and understand my background and understand sort of my level of education. We think about it in the midst of our city and we, we realize what's easiest for us to do is to only associate with people who are at the same economic level or who have the same race that I do or even the same religion that I do. And the easiest thing to do is to never cross over those lines. It's incredibly easy. We think globally. What Did, what did, did any of us in this room ask to be born in America? And yet we are. And America being powerful and prosperous... Sometimes leads us to become one of the most ethnocentric, prideful people. Instead of asking the question, God lavished us with wealth and he lavished us with privilege and he lavished us with possessions, to what end? Why did he do that? That's the question that Jonah continues to ask us. And in short, we worship a God of compassion who crosses over who crosses over to find people like us, who who has gathered a people to do the same thing, and there's nowhere that is more evident than in Jesus. There's a place in in the Gospels, in Luke 11, when Jesus is talking to some Israelites, and he says to them, "A, a greater Jonah has now come. What does he mean by that? I think that what Jesus means by that is that when the word of the Father came to him and told him to cross over, that, the word, that he, he didn't respond, do you know who those people are? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they'll do to me? Instead, Jesus says, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus crosses over and he lays his riches and he lays his comfort and he lays his reputation aside. And what does he do? He goes and he sits down and he eats. An incredible thing to do in that culture. He sits down and he eats with defiled people, he eats with sinners. He touches outcasts, he touches lepers. He lets a prostitute anoint his feet and cry over his feet, and, and wipe them with their hair. And the good people, they don't recognize him, and he tells them why, because he says, you didn't listen to the sign of Jonah. And Jesus is handed over to be executed by and for the very people you came, he came to save. You see, the point of Jonah is not just that we identify with Jonah and sort of make a resolution today to be better than Jonah was. That we will never understand this book until what we realize is that we're Nineveh. And that Jesus accepted the mission, and he came running towards us. That he came running, he came sprinting towards us. And what I want, more than anything for myself, Lord, help me, and for you and For the church, grace and peace is not simply that we walk out of here correcting Jonah's mistake, but that we fall deeply in love with Jesus. That we are enamored, we are entranced, that we are inflamed with his love so that there is not a day that passes that we don't stand in awe of the fact that Jesus crossed over to find somebody like me, to make me his child. And here's the thing, if that is our goal... The thought of crossing over to love even our enemies, it ceases to be a question even at all. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his obedience. Father, we thank you for his love. We thank you for the compassion that you have for people like us. I pray that you would humble us, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves for who we we actually are. that That we might be astounded every morning that we wake up. That we have been given and lavished with your mercy and your forgiveness of grace. And Father, I pray that we would not stop there. That we would not in any way hoard that to ourselves. But I pray that you would call us to look and to see and to find those who need to hear, who are crying out for the compassion and the mercy and the grace of God. And I pray that you would be, you would help us to be quick to respond. I pray that that would be what we are about as a church and what we are about as individuals. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.